Christmas because we wanted to be different from the world and their customs. Now, I honor you if that's how you grew up, and I also choose to honor Jesus around this time of year because it's it's really easy time of year to do that, right? And there's a ton of opportunities. So it's something that I was released from when I grew up, you know, after I grew up, is to be able to worship Christ at Christmas without feeling like a pagan. So <laughs> I'm going to offer that release to you guys because Jesus removed every chain, right? He removed any wall that separates us from him, right? So I just, I honor God. Um, kind of lost my train of thought when they were doing the, uh, the announcements and stuff. So I, uh, and I had a five-year-old just jumping up and down on my lap. Daddy, 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 daddy. So, ah. <laughs> uh, God, I just honor you in, in our hearts, and I just thank you for preparing all of our hearts to hear your word. I'm going to try and go through this pretty quick here. All right. When we talk about preparing our hearts, because that's what the message is about here, um, what are we preparing our hearts for? And whose job is it to prepare our hearts? Would you say, as a father, would you say it honors you to have your son or your daughter or mother, to have your son and daughter pursue you. Does that honor you? If you hear your son or daughter say something that honors you and you can tell their hearts is turned towards you, does it not initiate a warmth and a love inside you for your son and your daughter? I want to pause there for a minute and think. We've made seeking God and preparing our hearts for God as modern Christians, we've made it into witchcraft in a lot of ways because it has to be the right combination of, of twisting and contorting yourself and, and like I have to seek God in this specific way and I have to give up everything here or I have to fast exactly this way and it's, it's ridiculous, right? As a father... I'll share a story. My son spun out uh, a couple weeks ago, and something really, I mean, we couldn't have this toy instead of that toy. You know, something really, really marginal, really, really minor, but his world was done. That's it. You don't understand me. And he separated himself from me because I was the enemy then, right? Do we do that with God? Right? Do we, when we seek the things of the world and we have distance between us and God and then there's a misunderstanding or we don't have peace in our hearts, does God become our enemy? How many times does it say in the Old Testament, he said, you've become estranged from me. So, now I have to go find my son say, come here. You're believing a lie. You are my son. No matter what happens, you are my son. And it's, this is something God has impressed on my heart so much that we, when we misunderstand our sonship, that's when our heart follows after sin. 
that's when our heart falls into these traps that wounds our soul. When we misunderstand our son and daughtership in Christ, that's how we follow after that. Now, my son knows that he's mine, and nothing will change that. But there's a tiny bit of doubt in there. And that tiny bit of doubt was planted whenever we had problems in our house where maybe he didn't get to see his sister for months on end, right? Then there's this childish doubt of, am I a son? And now he doesn't get to see his brother anymore because that was his foster brother and he doesn't understand these things yet, right? So there's things going on up here that he doesn't understand that feed into the false narrative that tries to creep into a five-year-old's mind, right? If I do bad as a five-year-old, my parents will get rid of me. That's a lie from the pits of hell. And we know that. But how do you tell a five-year-old you're believing a lie? Come here. Come. Let me redeem you. It takes repetition. And it takes grace that a five-year-old can't manage. We don't have that capability. And so I think... There's a grace that Christ has for us as we prepare our hearts to receive him as our big brother, our redeemer into sonship, back into the relationship that Adam forfeit. There's a grace he has for us to help us understand how we keep divorcing ourselves from the relationship God created for us. And if we can put ourselves into the mindset of a five-year-old who has lost his brother and now he's struggling with identity issues that he never had all the way up till now and now he's learning every single day grace from mom and dad. Mom and dad are still there. I messed up today. I'm bad. I am bad. Do we ever believe that lie? He does. My daughters do sometimes, right? They have to they have to work with these things just like you and I do. Your kids do sometimes, right? Do we all have believed this lie that we are bad? Even in our brokenness, God the Father has never called us bad. Has he? So that's a self-proclaimed lie that we choose to believe if we let this gap develop between our relationship with us and the Father. So, God has a dream. God the Father has a dream of having a relationship with us where we can sit around a table and bless each other and love each other, and live in relationship with each other without any of this in between us. I am blessed to bring that every single day to my son and constantly build that trust and constantly reassure those gaps 
that try to manifest in his logic and his thinking and to constantly reassure him, you are my son, no matter what. If you're watching this online, if you're watching this on a live stream, I invite you to pause it and go watch Stacy's message from the 27th of August talking about the Trinity. We understand the Trinity so little, but if we can understand the relationship that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I, I really, I thought about bringing a couple guys up here and, you know, putting a seat here and a seat there so we can just have a conversation, but we probably don't have enough time, right? But you get the, you get the general picture, like if we could have a, a conversation and we could bless each other, lift each other up, um, even share testimonies of how much so many in here have just blessed me over, like, like we're brothers, right? <coughs> but there's still something we don't have that God the Father, we don't have in the flesh, that God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus do. And that is a constant need inside of themselves to bless the other. We have a constant need inside of ourselves to be blessed, to, to need something from the other person, to need some, for some people, they need to put other people down. That is the deep brokenness inside of us, right? So for some people, they need to, they really need to be reconfirmed a lot. And that's our, that's our soul brokenness that we're working on. But Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus, they don't need any of that. What they need is to be in relationship. So again, as we prepare our hearts, let's be a five-year-old for a minute. Let's be like a five-year-old. Dad, I need you. There's some things in my heart I'm not proud of. It's been a tough week. I've done some things that don't honor you. Redeem me, God. I want to be in relationship with you. And that's it. We're done. If we trust that God the Father is more righteous than us, and he hears our heart cry, and he says, that's my son. I'm happy. He's seeking me. That, it seems a little extreme to go from, you know, repenting to that a kind of excitement. But isn't that you as a father and a mother? Isn't that your heart when your son reaches out to you? If you heard your son or daughter outside right now, which one of you would not bolt for the door, no matter what? That's my son. That's my daughter. They could be in need, much less if they're like, Dad, Mom, I need some, I need a hug, right? Doesn't that melt your heart? Because that's that bit of God that's inside of us, right? So God has a dream that we're going to live like that eventually. And God tends to get the things he dreams about, right? So the first part of preparing ourselves is not to condemn ourselves on the ground, but let's be like a five-year-old and let's trust God for a second that he's going to get what he designed. Can we agree to believe that? So just as Joshua stood in the valley and said, son, I need you to stand still. Moon, stay over there. 
We got work to do. God, I have work to do, but I can't do it without your grace. My heart needs prepared to receive you as my father. And I don't have a good version of what father is yet. You're still teaching me that. So prepare my heart, God, because we have work to do. I, I got a word this, uh, this week, and it, it challenged me a lot because I knew that I had an assignment. I'm supposed to teach about preparing our hearts, and the word that God gave me was a decisive point. And a decisive point for record is imagine a defensive line. It's a military term, right? Imagine a defensive line that you have to break through if you're at war with your enemy, you have to choose the right point in that line that seizes key terrain from the enemy, and then you have to hold on to that point for what reason? So that you can turn the tide of battle, right? So I'm thinking, God, I'm trying to, I'm thinking, God, I'm trying to prepare this message about preparing our heart, and I'm thinking about, like, throwing ourselves on the ground and repenting and all this stuff, and God keeps pinging me with this. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be obedient, and Let's talk about that for a minute. If we are in a, a spiritual war, then there has to be a decisive point. Can we agree? Yeah? Okay. So there has to be a decisive point. That's where somebody in one, in one of the contingents in this war has to seize key terrain that commands the battlefield from the enemy. And we have to hold it. So what is that key terrain? And why do we have to hold it? I would argue that the Bible is very clear that that key terrain is you. The book of Hosea, God instructs Hosea, go marry a harlot, redeem her. Have a child. Name the child. Names of redemption. Not flattering names, right? Like, you have estranged yourselves from me, but I will redeem you. You have played the harlot towards me, but you are mine. You have been duped by an evil slave master to sin against me, but I will call you mine. And one of the most mind-blowing things that God showed me about the book of Hosea this week was the Valley of Achor. One of the pieces of land as, as Hosea goes through and he lists all the things that God is going to redeem in his people is the Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor, for everybody, is the valley that they stoned Achan to death in because he sinned against God during their holy war against the enemy. Why does God need to redeem these places? Why has God chosen places like this that are desolate, that are marked for destruction as places that he wants to redeem and pull close to him? It's almost like he can see the end from the beginning and he sees us as even though we're irretrievably broken, we're still his children. So even though that piece of land was cursed 
because this one man sinned, I'm going to redeem it because it's mine. And if there's any one message we need to hear as we prepare our hearts, it is that you are mine. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you back to me because you are mine. If there's one message Jesus was sent to proclaim is that this is my father. What you think you know of my father is not right. You wouldn't give your son a snake if he asked for food. You wouldn't call your daughter a name if she asked you for love. I'm just riffing here. We think that that's God the Father sometimes. We, we got to, if there's one thing we can do to prepare our heart, it's become like a five-year-old and just trust that God actually sent someone to buy this field of great prize that had once been cursed, that his men cursed, but God sent someone to buy that field because it's mine. That's my field. The enemy can't have it. <coughs> None of that was on my script today. <laughs> Thank you, God. Holy Spirit has been working today. A little bit of it was. I was impressed uh, last week when, when uh, Stacy was talking about Let's keep a record. Let's keep a record of the things that we want God to redeem, the fields that we need God to purchase for us. And let's keep a record of the ones that he has. Now, I'm going to proclaim in faith, I'm going to agree, really, because he already said it last week, that that bucket's going to be overflowing. And this one, we're not going to be able to keep it full. No matter what we see, can we all agree on that? Amen. Let it be so. I was really blessed when we were talking about prayer and what it means to come into the presence of God. As a five-year-old, let's do that today. But first, I'll share you an example here. There was a Count Zinzendorf. A lot of you have heard about him. Some of you actually told me about him originally. There was a Count Zinzendorf. He was 27 years old. He, ref he, um, he received a huge trust of wealth from his parents and rather than be the rich young ruler who squandered it, he actually sold everything and gave everything away for God. And it all started with one night. He led a refugee in his house. Didn't know what to do with this guy, so he let him in. He loved God, but now he's learning how to be the hands and feet of God. So he lets in this single Moravian refugee, and before long... As he's praying about things, his heart was convicted about helping more. And within a year, he had close to 300 Moravian refugees. So there was something that changed in his heart through prayer and action. But I, I can guarantee you there was one thing he didn't have that we also don't have most of the time when we go to do these things, and that is a full understanding, right? Every single one of us, if we want to go do a venture, we want to have a full, you know, we want to have profit and loss ledger. We want to have full planning over here. We want to have a forecast. 
And we don't always get that from God, right? We just get, I am Father, you are my Son, there is no greater religion than this than to visit the orphans and the widows. So that's what he did. We don't always understand. I was challenged this last Wednesday when God gave me the word about the decisive point, and I didn't know what to do, so I went up and talked to somebody as we were out the other night with Paul. And he turned his life back to Christ. And the interesting thing was, I had been sitting in my car for praying for him. Paul and I were talking. And we were praying for this guy, and we were talking about how much God's going to use this guy. So we believe what we're praying. We see this young man. He's definitely wrestling with something, right? And finally, I, I got some courage, and I got out of the car <laughs> to go pray for him, because that's obviously what God had been moving on my heart to do the whole time, and I just needed to be obedient. That's where I'm going with this. If we, if we start like a five-year-old and we pray to God like he's a father, the next step is to do, right? So if we're preparing our hearts to receive God, we have to first understand that God already has sonship lined up. The benefits of sonship are already there in daughtership. They're already there. They're already waiting. He is waiting. Turn your hearts to me. and You're mine. There it is. Right? Now let's work together. Right? That middle, that middle man position. Everybody remember that message? We're in the middle. Christ is trying to work, in, and, and he wants us in the middle so that he can work through us to reach everyone else. Well, let's go back to Zinzendorf. Under Zinzendorf's leadership, they started a prayer meeting. But listen to what happened when they started the prayer meeting. They started praying together, and their goal was, we need to seek God. Because he's obviously doing something. you got to remember, Zinzendorf came from a wealthy family, and they got their wealth some way. So obviously, it's expected of the heir that they continue to build that wealth, right? But here's the heir who is, in the eyes of a lot of people, squandering the wealth. He's giving it away. So there's some, there's some pressure he has in the natural. So he's doing the right thing, and he's seeking God in prayer. So now we get to the prayer meeting. And what happened when Zinzendorf got together with these refugees and started praying? It says the Holy Spirit fell to the degree that when they left the meeting, they were all stumbling out like drunken people out of a tavern. But what happened in that meeting? They all started confessing their sins to each other. What is this? Is that what God wants from us? When you redeem a small child and you see their heart turn from the way they were going, foolishness, to wisdom, there's no halfway. They're either going their own way or they're following you. So what happened when the Holy Spirit fell on that room is everybody had a choice. I'm either going to follow Holy Spirit or I'm going to continue to go my own way. And they chose to follow Holy Spirit. And listen to what happened. The move that spawned from that was a hundred years of praying. A lot of us would think that the hundred years of praying has to happen before the revival starts. But for them, the repentance happened before the hundred years of praying. And then these people said, that is my father. 
I want to be like him. There's something different here that I don't have. This is the part of why we're preparing our hearts. Let me just breeze through some of the things these guys did. These hundred-year prayer warriors that started out confessing their sins. It says that they sent out over 15 years this group of 300 people. I think we have more than 300 people here, right? What do we have? Five or 600 people? About 300 people? About 300 people. So, okay, that's, I like that number. Let's go with that. There were 40 people in the upper room, right? Or no, 100, 100 and some, right? Right? 120, thank you. Math. <laughs> right? So this group of 300 or less than 300 people, they sent out 70 missionaries. 70. That is a lot of missionaries. Listen to the, some of the things they do. Some of them sold themselves into slavery so that they could minister to the slaves. That's commitment. That is, I think James would call that pure religion, wouldn't he? Seeking the orphans and the widows. God is constantly trying to invite us to sonship. If we go back to the model of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit sitting in these stools behind me, they're constantly in fellowship. They're not sharing from a need that's not filled. They were full, and yet they wanted to invite us in. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the honor of kings to seek it out. Why? They're in constant fellowship. Why is that hidden from us? Because Adam forfeit the relationship that kept us in the middle of that circle. Right? That trinity was happening when Adam was born of God, and he was a part of it. So when he gave up his birthright, it's still happening, but he's over here now. So when you and I have the honor of kings to seek out this concealed matter, this oneness with God, this sonship, we're learning how to strip away the dulled eyes of Adam, the dulled ears of Adam, and step into the final Adam, which is Jesus, right? If we are to prepare our hearts today, we have to be like a five-year-old who just found out that he is 100% adopted. You're my son. This day have I chosen you. I'm your son. You've chosen me. Teach my heart, God. Teach my heart that I'm yours. It talks a little bit more about why these things are concealed in... Um, 1 Corinthians 2 it says the wisdom we speak is the mystery of God. His plan was previously hidden even though it was made for our glory before the world even began. 
So before Adam even saw daylight, this was the plan. But now, because we live in this world of broken Adams, sons and daughters of Adam, before we meet the final Adam, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, it hasn't even entered into our heart. We can't even comprehend the things that God has prepared for us that love him. But here's the hope. It has been revealed to us by the Spirit of God, and where does it reside? If it's been revealed to us in the Spirit, but it's still hidden, where is it at? If the wisdom of God were stationary and it had to be placed somewhere, where is it? Where is this glory that eye has not seen and ear has not heard? It is in our spirit, man. Because it says we are one spirit with God when we are redeemed by him, right? So how do we get these eyes to see what this spirit eyes are already seeing? We have to prepare our hearts like a five-year-old. Now, when I was a five-year-old and I was angry at my dad because life was not giving me what I wanted, who was separating me from my dad's heart? Me, right? But we already know that part. We already condemn ourselves for that part. Who was the only person that could bring me back? Could I bring myself back? Could I bring myself, redeem myself back to my father? No. This is one of the main points God really put on my heart and undid a lot of the theology I had growing up. Uh, if you write down Exodus 19, chapter 19 through 21, well, 25. Yeah, go through 25. Exodus 19 through 25. We start out, Moses, Moses prepared the people to meet God on the mountain. He said, God is coming down. We are going to get to see what he brought us out of Egypt to do. He's pulling us towards him. This is it, guys. We all know the story. He told our great-great-granddad that we have to suck it up, keep a stiff upper lip in Egypt for 400 years until the Sumerians had their time, the Amorites had their time. Right? It's time now. We get to leave Egypt. And now we're here. Think about the victory songs that happened after they left Egypt. Guys, we're here. We have arrived, right? There were attacks on them. God destroyed them in a mighty way. He swore. He said, I'm going to be at war with Amalek. I'm going to destroy them for you. I'm going to be at war with this tribe for you because you're mine. So dad's bringing his children home but we don't have the Holy Spirit vision yet for us to see what eye has not seen and ears not heard yet. So listen to what happens. He said, Moses, prepare the people. I'm going to come down and I'm going to show them my glory. So you got to get ready. You have to prepare yourself, otherwise my glory will kill you. God's glory without redemption would kill us if we didn't have part of us sitting on the throne. So he said, and remember, he hasn't given them the law or anything yet. He said, take a shower, 
clean your clothes. No, no sexual contact or anything like that. Let's, let's start with the basics is what he's saying, right? For three days. Let's just make ourselves as clean as we can, as best you can, and put a line around the mountain. Don't anybody cross it. But you're coming up to talk to me, Moses. I've purified you. Remember, he purified Moses way back at the burning bush. So he brings all the people up. He tells them all these things. He said, we are here, man. We're here for it. Whatever God says, we're going to do it. Like, they're there for it. We're here, man. Let's do this. So he said, these are the words that God said. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to me because all the earth is mine. You will be my treasured possession among all of them, and you shall be to me a kingdom. In this, in this land that Adam forfeit to the enemy, you will be my kingdom here. So Moses came. The elders, he called the elders. He told them. They said, yep, we're here for it. And then the Lord came down and said, all right, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud. Come on up. So three days later, the earth shook, and there was fire, and there was smoke, and there was lightnings, and it said the people were terrified. And they said, Moses, you go. Please, we can't do this. You go. Moses said, all right, God already said this. I'm going. He goes up the mountain. God tells him the Ten Commandments and said, go back down and get Aaron and get the 70 elders, Right? That was another thing that happened before God visited them. There was a little bit of a little bit of wisdom that was spoken to Moses by his father-in-law. Hey, you should have some help, right? You need you need some good elders surrounding you. So God said, "I'll bless that. Go get them." They have prepared their hearts. Moses has been up on the mountain now for seven days, and so he goes and he gets the seventy plus the three people that God anointed to do some gold work and some other fine crafts. And he said, "Come on up." Now listen to what happened. These 70 elders, it said they sat with God and they saw the glory of God. They ate lunch with God. They described how God looked. They could only see, it sounds like from the way it's written in the word, from like his legs down and from, uh, from up just was too much glory to describe, right? Because Moses, God told Moses, I can't show you my face. You're not ready for this yet. There's not an indwelling of the spirit in you, right? He couldn't, he couldn't explain this to a five-year-old yet, right? So now the 70 elders. I want to pinpoint this for a second because you and I, somewhere in our, in our Americanized popular religion minds, we have it in our mind that if we can just get up the mountain and get close to God, if I can just get a vision of the feet of God, I mean, they explained the feet of God. They were like, it was like he was standing on a sea of glory that stretched forever. Read it. It's amazing the way they described it. It's like something that came out of the book of Revelation. It's incredible. And you and I think that someday we can get up the mountain and just get a vision of who God is and be close to him, and then we'll be good. And then, you know, we'll be able to come down, and because we've had an, a, an ultimate revelation of God, we will be able to have the maximum amount of self-control, and we will just get through this because I'll be so much better then. But these 70 elders, it says they came back down the mountain with Aaron, and because... Moses was gone. 
for 40 days. They said, well, I guess that's it. Let's make a golden calf. What? Now, how many of us have seen the glory of God and then struggled for the rest of the week? Right? It's not enough to get a vision of who God is. It's not enough to have self-control or good habits or daily living or even to receive the law of God written with God's own hand. It's not enough. This was a schoolmaster. This is me teaching my five-year-old son. You need to learn math because you have to count how many gallons of all right, let's start here, math, because you have to count how many gallons of gas, and we have to do some math about that, and then you have to count how, you have to learn how to read a map, and then you have to learn a few things about self-discipline so that one day you can drive, right? So this is God teaching us in the law that this is where we're going. Someday you're going to be able to step into sonship. So in order to prepare our hearts we have to allow God to bring us here. Now we have the law, and we make God into the law sometimes. So maybe, in order to prepare our hearts, we should have faith that we are already sons. Right? Instead of trying to go back to the law and say, God, just bring me up the mountain and show me a vision. Again, these are the things, as we prepare our hearts, these are the things that are concealed to the eyes of sons of Adam, sons and daughters of Adam. In order to prepare our hearts, God, teach me what it means to be a son. Now, there's a couple of things that we know prepares our hearts really well to do that. The first thing is repent, right? When he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus was setting an example for how to leave the flesh man behind. The old son of Adam meat suit, if you will. Way of thinking, right? The things that make sense to us in the flesh. He was showing us how to leave these behind. The greatest thing that God has put on my heart as I've been preparing this message is we want the decisive point in this battle to be something that I can get up, I can pick up a weapon, and I can go see happening. And the whole time God's telling us the battle is in sonship. If you want to have your place in this war and go take key terrain from the enemy, we have to first receive sonship in God. Second, we have to go get more sons and daughters. Now, I want the Moravian revival. I want that to be an old story that's tiny compared to what God is doing now. And I firmly believe that it is. But how can we build on the glory 
of what they did if we don't at least do some of the same things they did. Right? I feel the call to prayer like I've never felt before. I've had, I've had God challenge my prayer life in ways I've never, never experienced before, one of one, which was the book um, Pray Like Monks, Live Like Fools that you shared. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible, mo- but most of, the, like most of the book is literally just saying stop trying to get holy enough to pray for God and just pray where you are. Most of the book is literally just you're pretending you're trying to get good enough for God. Stop it. You're already his son. In order to seek God and manifest sonship, we have to seek God on his terms. God, you say I am a son. I don't believe it sometimes. You say I'm a daughter. I don't believe it sometimes. Let's start there. In John 1.12, he says, To all who believed and accepted sonship. Do we accept sonship today? Can we accept the fathering of Jesus' father, our older brother, the one that he came to represent? Can we accept the same fathering that he accepted? Can we start by forgiving each other like the, chi- like the people in the Moravian revival did? Can we start with that? All right. One of, th- one of the biggest warnings preparing this message that God kept putting on my heart was just that you've seen a vision of me. You've seen who I am. That was one of the most powerful things written in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He says it over and over and over again. We have seen the Father. Our hands have handled the word of life. We know it's true. But we're not going to be redeemed as five-year-olds without allowing God to change some of the things that are separating us from the old Adam so that we come into the new Adam. So, I want to, today, I want to invite you guys to pray for me. And as you pray for me, I want to invite you to say whatever God puts on your heart for anyone around you. I want to have a family gathering up here. Can we do that? And I, and I want I want to just spend a few minutes and just speak whatever things God puts on your heart for anyone around you. Can we have some music? Can we minister to each other in prayer? I firmly believe that there's the, pre- the true preparation in my heart is only going to get from where we are currently to where God wants us to be through his grace. There's something that's not going to break loose unless he breaks it loose. So I humble myself today. I'm going to fully, I'm just be transparent. I've had a tough week. I have not done that, but 
You okay? <laughs> all right, just make sure you're all right. I've had a tough week, guys. I did not represent Jesus well to my family this week. I've had to repent a lot this week. So I firmly believe that everything I shared, God wanted you to hear. When I went out on Wednesday night, um, there were three brothers that went out with me to minister to the homeless and minister to Fayetteville. Um, we go out every last Wednesday of the month, if anyone wants to go with us in the evening. Um, but there were three brothers that couldn't make it because Satan was just after all of us. And I firmly believe he's after each and every one of you and your joy. So will you please join me up here? One of the first things Jesus said, I'm just going to give this last point. One of the first things Jesus said, it's in John chapter 21. I promised you this a couple weeks ago. John chapter 21, verse 20. When he came back from the dead and he fought off hell and he did all the spiritual victories, the first thing he said when he came back is, he breathed on everybody and said, receive the Holy Ghost. And what was the second thing he said? Go and forgive people so that they can hear my word. Go and forgive. Why does the Son of God, who has conquered the whole entire world, all of creation, works through him? The first message he had was go and forgive. It's because my son, when he was in his room, mad at me, he needed to know that I, as a father, was seeking him. My father is seeking you right now. Come pray with me. I need help as a believer to represent Jesus more. Let's have revival. <laughs>